Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadi alladhina astafa. Waqad qala Allah tabaarak wa ta'ala fi Qur'anil Karim ba'da a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Wa atimul hajja wal umrata lillah. Sadaqallahul aliyyul azim wa sadaqa rasuluhu an-nabiyyul karim wa nahnu ala dhalika minash shahidin wa shaakirin. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Amma ba'd. <clears throat> Alhamdulillah Inshallah today we'll be speaking a little bit about Dhul Hijjah A little bit about Udhiyah A little bit about the season of Hajj and what it is uh, Let's begin right away So before starting anything obviously We want to welcome our Hazrat COVID-19 So COVID-19 mashallah changed so many things uh, And this is a phenomenon and experience that We obviously, I mean me growing up we ne I never experienced this before and so many people who are my elders, they also never experienced this before. Um, so many strange fatwas, so many different events. Uh, but as a Muslim, we view certain things in a certain way that are differently, that a non-Muslim would view differently. For example, like a non-Muslim, they don't really believe in the Akhirah, right? So they, this, they think that this life is all that there is. So if something bad happens to him and to them in this life, then pretty much that's the end of the story. Tough luck, um, no chance. But Muslims, subhanAllah, we, we believe in the Akhirah. So we always were very optimistic and we're very positive. We always see the glass half full. And this hadith is just a small uh, representation of that where Rasulullah says, عَجَبًا لِأَمْرِ الْمُؤْمِنِ إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلَّهُ لَهُ that you know how wonderful is the matter how wonderful is the affair of a believer um, whatever he does whatever happens to him he's always blessed and everything is positive for him if something good happens to him then what does he do he makes shukr and then he's grateful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases him Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's good for him. That's a blessing for him. If something bad happens to him, then one of his sins get fall, wiped off. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevates his stages in Jannah. He makes sabr. Sabr is also a good quality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also rewards him. So it doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter what situation. Because the bottom line is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in, in control of COVID. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control of the world economy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to, that's why... The situation in the haram is as it is. It, that's why the masajids were... Everything was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So only what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants, that's what's going to happen. Now when we have this um, in our mind, this psyche in our mind, then we're not so bothered about the events of the world. So the reason I'm mentioning this is because just as how in Ramadan, which was a very significant set of events for the Muslim populace, the Muslim ummah, everybody was completely taken aback by what happened during Ramadan. Masajids were closed. No taraweeh, no community iftar. Some masajids didn't have Eid. So it was a very shocking thing for so many of us. And this, um, you know, Juma was stopped. So, I mean, the elderly uncles and they couldn't even fathom like I never missed a single Juma in my life since I was a little kid how am I supposed to miss a Juma now so 
But a few, if we take this hadith into context and we see the hidden blessings, so to say, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed us with in this month of Ramadan. Um, for example, many hufaz, they never were able to recite the entire Quran themselves. It was always, you know, you have two hufaz for much. So many hufaz, they recited the Quran themselves. Many people who never prayed taraweeh or they prayed eight rakats, they started praying 20 rakats. Many people who didn't read so much Quran, because they couldn't come to the masjid, they started reading the Quran. They tried to do taraweeh. Inside that, there's another blessing where they found out how hard it was. And they found out how, subhanAllah, you know, how much work it takes to produce a hafiz. It, they found out how much work it takes to produce a scholar just to have someone to always recourse back to, to revert back to. They appreciate that even more. And especially in the context of Dar es Salaam, I'm sure Dar es Salaam was appreciated even more when the services and facilities had to come to an abrupt stop. So everybody appreciated the ulama more. They, they saw the need, they saw the need of hufaz. They knew the struggle, so to say, because once they started trying to do it themselves, it didn't work out so nice, possibly, possibly. Um, another thing is when the masajid were closed and we felt that sort of heartbreak, then we knew that the next time the masjids open again, that we can't miss it this time. You know, maybe we might have slacked here and there. We, you know, we could have went to the masjid, but we took it for granted, but now the masjids were closed. An-ni'matu idha fuqidat urifat. When a when a blessing is taken away, that's when you realize the true value of that blessing. So now, when the masjids reopened, now we don't want to miss that chance ever again. Now we're always in the masjid, alhamdulillah. And I would say another really amazing uh, thing that COVID did for Muslims only, in particular, when it was you know March, April that time uh, during Ramadan. COVID was at its peak. I mean, that's when you had the greatest conspiracy theories and that's when you had the greatest government regulations. That's when everybody was scared. Nobody knew anything about the disease. You know, you're going to catch it. People were, you know, it, it was on the media so much. But during Ramadan, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed us to fast in the morning and pray taraweeh salah at night, Muslims didn't really know what was going on. I mean, we were keeping up with it, but someone was saying Corona, and we're like, Corona? You mean samosa? You know, it's just, we were thinking about food. We were very hungry. We couldn't, we couldn't, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that was the ni'mat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that most of our psyche was how we can utilize this time to the fullest because throughout the year, there's these pockets of time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sets. So you have the ashhurul hurum the sacred months, the four sacred months. So Dhul Qa'adah just passed, now we're in Dhul Hijjah. You have Ramadan. You have, so there's this thing called Waqti Ibadah. Waqti Ibadah, meaning there's a specific time for Ibadah. Let me give you an example. So a person, so the Masala is, in the Hanafi Madhab at least, the Masala is if you go to Makkah and Medina, or let's take Makkah for example, you go to Makkah, the masala is what's better for that person. Is it better for that person to pray nafal salah, extra nafal salah? Because we heard, we heard the hadith, you pray, you know, whoever prays salah in the haram, it's like you 100,000 more times than if you pray salah in a normal masjid. So we know the hadith, right? So the masala comes, is it better to pray more nafal salah inside the haram or is it better to make more tawaf inside the haram? So there's, there's going to be two different categories. There's the people who live in Makkah and the people who do not live in Makkah. So the masala is for the people who do not live in Makkah, 
for them it's better to do tawaf around the Kaaba because that's something you can only get there. Because nafal salah you can pray anywhere. But not for the, the people who live in Mecca, obviously praying nafal salah would be better. Tawaf is an, a greater ibadah in its own right. But I'm saying for the person who does not live in Mecca, the fuqaha mentioned that because tawaf is a one-off, you know, either you're there or you're not. I can't make tawaf right now around Dar salam. You know, so that's the idea. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends these special times, we have to utilize our time very carefully. Just as how the rewards are multiplied, as we'll see, the sins are also multiplied. Like for example, if a person was to commit a sin here, if a person commits a sin in the dark corner, the recesses of his, inner recesses of his house, he'll get a sin. But if that person decides to commit a sin here in Dar es Salaam, it's going, the same sin, it's going to be a greater sin. He'll get more punishment. And imagine that person, they go in front of the haram and they were to commit that same sin. It's more disrespectful, so you get more guna. So the same thing when the season of Islam comes, Dhul Hijjah, when the season of Hajj comes, these are very, very, very special days. And just like how COVID affected our Ramadan, but inside that effect, we receive so many hidden blessings that we would have never received if it wasn't for Ramadan. The same way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through His infinite wisdom, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put hidden blessings in this situation where many of us who, would, who could have or would have wanted to go for Hajj, we couldn't have for some reason. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take us there again and again. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will... Uh, there's hidden blessings in that for us as well. So, let's talk about a little bit about these 10 days. So these are the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, وَالْفَجْرُ وَلَيَالٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes qasam, an oath. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have to take an oath. right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes oaths on great creations. وَالْعَصْرُ Time. The great creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَالشَّمْسِ وَالْقَمَرِ The sun, the moon, great creations. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took an oath by these 10 days. And these 10 days, the most of the mufassirun, they mention that these 10 days are the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. Extremely rewarding uh, these 10 days. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, let's start with this. He reports that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said that there are no other days in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves good deeds more on these 10 days. More than on these 10 days. And then the Sahaba asked Rasulullah not even jihad for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jihad, jihad that one great deed that everyone hears about in ta'aleem you know before a single drop of blood reaches the ground all your sins are forgiven and the shuhada they never die and don't say they're dead but they're alive in their graves and they have such a lofty status Nabi sallallahu says not even jihad for the sake of Allah they're, they're asking and then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, not even jihad for the sake of Allah, except in the case of a man who went out, giving himself and his wealth up for the cause of Allah, and he comes back with nothing. So imagine these rewards. The scholars mention that if you compare, because we always hear about the last 10 nights of Ramadan, how great they are because of Laylatul Qadr. So the scholars say that the last 10 nights of Ramadan, they are more virtuous, but then the 10 days, the morning time, the 10 days of these 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah, they're more virtuous. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned another hadith that 
these are the best 10 days in the world. I mean, you can't get, you can't get more clear than that, narrated in Bazaar. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, he, he narrates that um, on no days is a worship of Allah azawajal desired more than in the first 10 days of the Hijjah. So the fast, Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu says, fasting, reported from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fasting in these 10 days, each of these 10 days is equal to the fast of the entire year, each one of these 10 days. And the worships of each one of these nights is equal to the worship of Laylatul Qadr. This hadith is reported in Tirmidhi. And the day of Arafah, inshallah Mufti Azim, he will be doing a program on Arafah. Whoever fasts on Arafah, even if we can't fast these 10 days, we should at least try to fast three. Three days. At least three. Why? Because if we can get a Monday and a Thursday, and we get the day of Arafah. The day of Arafah, everybody should already have it marked on their calendar. Inshallah, I'm going to fast. It's a Thursday. But if we can get two more days inside, then you also get the sunnah of, if it's a Monday and Thursday, you'll get the sunnah reward of that. And you'll also get the reward of fasting three days every month. Because Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to fast three days every month. So we should try to at least fast uh, three of these fasts to the bare minimum. If we can't do the three fasts, then at least the fast of Arafah because that's expiation for the previous year and for the coming year. I mean, we can just fast the day of Arafah. I mean, we don't really have to do anything else. That would sort of cover up. And the meaning of sort of expiation for the coming year is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will keep him away from sins. Um, sort of like that. Now, these 10 days, they're all a prequel to the day of Hajj. And Hajj is such a spiritual and some, some of my teachers they, they explained it like a love story where the, all the, the five kalimas where first you know you send they send you a message you get a message and then you start reading the message and after reading the message then you, you fall in love after you fall in love then you want to talk to the person so then you start praying salah to communicate with your beloved. And after a while you communicate, the more you communicate, the more you communicate, then uh, obviously when you're in love, you spend money on your beloved. So sometimes you buy useless things like trinkets and it's just, you go to a carnival and then there's this huge bear. You don't know, you're not gonna use the bear, but you know, you just buy the bear. And so that's, that's like your zakat, right? Because you're spending money. And suddenly they're not replying anymore. And then you fall into this depression where you can't sleep and you can't eat and you can't drink because all you're doing is you're just thinking about your beloved. Why, why aren't they replying? And that's your, that's your fasting, that's your psalm. And suddenly when it becomes unbearable and they start replying back or they don't, then you just have to visit them in their house. And so you go for Hajj. And when you go for Hajj, like the house of your beloved, you're just circling the house of your beloved because you, you want to speak with them, you want to be with them. And this is, this is how the Sufiya, they explain it. It's a journey of Hajj, where a person uh, disheveled, you know, hair messed up, clothes messed up, just madly in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is Hajj. Unfortunately, unfortunately, this year, we know the situation with COVID. We cannot go for Hajj. That is the sad truth, right? Only a few very, very 
lucky individuals will be able to participate in Hajj this year. But the least we can do is we can make dua for them. We can make dua for them. In a hadith it comes that whosoever makes dua for their brother when in his absence, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deputes an angel. And the, every single time that person makes a dua, the angel says, وَلَكَ bi And may you have the same exact reward. We're not there with them physically. But if we keep them in our du'as, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely give us a portion of their reward. So inshallah, we should always make du'a for the hujjaj. Uh, they are very blessed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose them to come to his special house. So they're, they're honored guests. That being said, that being said, we cannot go for hajj, but we can still get the reward of hajj. We can still get the reward of hajj. How so? Let me give you an example. You have Suratul Ikhlas. Suratul Ikhlas, Kulhullah Ahad. So, Suratul Ikhlas, Ta'adilu, Thulath al Quran. Suratul Ikhlas is equivalent to one third of the Quran. We always heard this. Right, so just think about this hadith. I mean, a person reading the entire Quran, this is one interpretation of the hadith. There are other interpretations of the hadith. How can a person, what's the, what's the tatbiq or the reconciliation? How can a person who recites the entire Quran, they're reciting the entire Quran, and we know from the hadith, um, man bil, from Quran, man bil hasana falahu ashra amthaliha. That whosoever does one good deed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards it by ten. And then we also know the hadith, that was the ayah, and we also know the hadith, We also know this hadith that Allah, Nabi Wasallam said, for every single letter you're going to get 10 rewards. And I, I'm not saying alif, lam, mim is one harf, but alif is one letter, lam is one letter, mim is one letter. So we're getting rewards on that side also. So how can a person who recites Surah Al-Ikhlas three times, how can he get the reward equivalent to that of the Qur'an? So one scholar, some of the scholars, they interpret it like this, that a person who recites Surah Al-Ikhlas, Surah Al-Ikhlas, three times, he gets the reward of reciting the Qur'an, he or she gets the reward of reciting the Qur'an without that multiplication, without that struggle, without that, you know, when a person, he's reading Qur'an, his struggle, his sincerity, his effort, all that's taking into factored in and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving a word uh, from that perspective but when a person they read suratul ikhlas three times they're getting the reward of reciting the entire Quran but without that multiplied reward so it's still there you still get the reward of reciting the Quran but without the multiplied reward so I compiled a few a few of a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa where he mentions Deeds that equal a hajj in reward. So obviously you're not going to get the same reward as a fard hajj. You're obviously not going to get the same reward as you know that struggle, sweating, walking with all of that. But through the barakah of this, because we can't go there, this is the least we can do to show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how much we want to be there. And most uh, these riwayat were found in a book called Lataif al Ma'arif, uh, Ma'arif by uh, Ibn Rajab is a very famous book. So he wrote a book about the virtues of each month. It's a it's a wonderful book. I think it's been translated into English. So when Muharram comes, all the a'mal of all the actions you're supposed to do in the month of Muharram, 
what you do in the month of Ramadan, how pious elders of the past used to spend their month of Dhul Hijjah, month of Ramadan, so forth and so on. So this was uh, from his kitab. These are very simple things. And deen is simple, deen is easy. Let's, let's take a look at these narrations. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, let me just change this. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says Anabi Muhammad radiallahu ta'ala anhu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said One who purifies himself Makes wudu At his house And leaves his home to attend the Fard salah and congregation Then He receives the reward of a haji In the state of ihram And if he leaves for Salatul duha He gets the reward of umrah Salatul duha is the midday prayer so obviously right now If we think about it The regulations in Darussalam say Don't make wudu over here Make wudu at your house then come And we're coming for Maghrib Salah We're coming for Isha Salah Asr Salah Fajr Salah So this is a hadith It's in Abu Dawood Subhanallah It's so simple To receive the reward of A hajj Ka'ajra al-hajjil muhrim This is one Let's see how many we have to make the dhikr after every single salah. This, I didn't include the translation, but I'll just translate it from here. An Abu Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu qal. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu said that ja'al fuqara ila Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That the poor people, the fuqara, they came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Faqalu, they said, ذَهَبَتْ دُثُورُ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ بِالدَّرَجَاتِ الْعُلَى وَالنَّعِيمِ الْمُقِيمِ يُصَلُّونَ كَمَا نُصَلِّي وَيَسُومُونَ كَمَا نُصُومُ وَلَهُمْ فَضْلُ أَمْوَالٍ يَحُجُّونَ بِهَا وَيَعْتَمِرُونَ وَيُجَاهِدُونَ وَيَتَصَدَّقُونَ The fuqara, the poor sahaba came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and told Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Ahlul Duthur, that the wealthy sahaba, they beat us. I mean, we don't have a chance. They secured Jannah with all of its High, high, they secured all the you know, executive suites in Jannah. We don't have anything. We can't afford that. Because why? They pray like how we're praying. They fast like how um, we fast. That's all we can do. But, they have extra money. Extra money. What do they do with that extra money? They're able to perform hajj. They're able to perform umrah. They're able to go in jihad. They're able to give sadaqah. We can't do all those things. So, how do we... That's not fair. That's sort of the... Uh, idea. So Fakal Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ala uhadithukum bimalin law akhathum bihi lahiktum man sabakakum. Should I not tell you about such wealth? You know, if you take this, if you hold on to it, then you'll catch up to those guys. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Nobody will be able to catch up to you in terms of good deeds. Nobody would be able to catch up to you in terms of good deeds unless they themselves start doing that also. And so Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, illa man amila mithla. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, After every single salah, 33 times subhanallah, 33 times alhamdulillah, 33 times Allahu Akbar. So what is Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam saying in this hadith? If you do this, then these Sahaba who are performing Hajj, who are performing Umrah, who are going in Jihad and all of that, you'll be even better than them. So all that reward is 
incorporated. So far we have wudu, something very easy, we do it anyways. Now this is another sunnah, if we do this, then we secured ourselves another hajj. And after every five salah, that's ten hajj so far. Let's keep count, right? So ten hajj. Coming to the masjid for knowledge. من غدا إلى المسجد لا يريد إلا أن يتعلم خيرا أو يعلمه كان له كأجر حاج تاما حجته هذا أبو مام رضي الله عنه reports that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم said whosoever goes to the masjid for the purpose of learning or teaching knowledge receives the reward of a haji whose hajj was perfect subhanallah if we, if we came for maghrib salah we got the reward of a hajj if we came for maghrib salah and the program that's two hajj. So this is Dar Salaam, mashallah, learning institute. So whenever you come here, you always know you're going to learn something. That's another hajj. This is reported in uh, Mu'ajim of Tabarani. The next hadith. These are just to encourage us because these are the days of Dhul Hijjah. Everything's multiplied. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu reports, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Whosoever offers his Fajr Salah in congregation, and for this one, I want everybody to actually look at the Arabic for this one. And after, afterwards, Fadr uh, Salah congregation, and then remain seated, making the dhikr of Allah until sunrise. And then this was just added from my side, approximately 15 minutes after sunrise. After that, he offers two rakat of salah. We call it ishraq. What reward will he receive? Will he receive? He will receive the reward of one complete Hajj and one complete Umrah. Now, no, look at look at this wording inside the Hadith. So he comes for Fajr. Man fi jama'atin. Ghada over here is Fajr. Fi jama'ah inside congregation. Then he sits down. Qa'ada. Yathkurullah. This is hal. He's memorizing Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Hatta tatlu shams until the sun rises. Shams means sun. After that, thumma then. Salah, he prays Raka'atain, two rak'ats So what's the reward? Kanat lahu ka'ajri hajjatin wa umrah He gets the reward of hajj and umrah But this is the part I didn't translate Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Tammah, tammah, tammah Three times Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Complete, complete, complete hajj and umrah This is from two rak'ats of salah After Fajr salah so how much, how many do we have so far? We have, what is it, like 22 so far. I'll stop counting because wait till you see the next hadith. Hadad Abdullah ibn Amr reported that Rasulullah said, He who recites subhanAllah 100 times in the morning and another 100 times in the evening is like one who performed hajj 100 times. I mean, you got to... When I was researching this topic, I had to check up this hadith specifically. You know, this was, but subhanAllah, it was in Tirmidhi. So, mi'ata marra. Mi'a means hundred over here. So, this is the actual Arabic of the hadith. Kaman, like the person, hajja mi'ata marra. The person who performed hajj 100 times. 100 times for something so simple. Everything, all of these things were very simple. You're coming for salah anyways. Now, if we just add this to our routine, during the days of Dhul Hijjah, we can't go for Hajj, but we can show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I really want to be there. 100 times. SubhanAllah in the morning, another 100 times in the evening. 
Anas radiallahu anhu reports that a man came to Rasulullah and said, I wish to participate in jihad. I want to go in jihad, but I can't afford it. Because jihad is very expensive. You have to go with your own time, your own money, your own resources, your own, back in the day, your own spear, your own shield, your own horse, stuff like that. Rasulullah inquired if any of his parents were alive. To which he said, yes, my mother is alive. Rasulullah said, show Allah how you serve her. Show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how well you can serve your mother. If you do so duly in the proper way, you will be like a haji, someone performing hajj. فَأَنْتَ hajin. This is Ismim Manqus, right? فَأَنْتَ hajin. وَمُعْتَمِرْ Someone who's performing hajj, someone who's performing umrah. Here's the ayn mimra. وَمُجَاهِدْ And you'll be like one who's in jihad also. Haji. You know, you go to Mecca, they call it Hajji, Hajji. Hajji, you'll be a Hajji. You'll be someone doing Umrah. And you will be a Mujahid also. So if we serve our parents, so whoever's parents are alive, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep them in good health. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them long life. And if they passed away, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate their status in Jannah. Um, Amin. Number seven. This one, we can wait a little bit. So Hadrat Abdullah ibn Abbas عنه, has reported that Rasulullah he passed by Umm Sinan she was a Sahabiya while on his way to Hajj so Nabi asked her why, didn't you, why don't you come with us for Hajj she said we only have two camels one my husband used to go for Hajj and the other one we needed for transporting water so Rasulullah said okay if you can't come with me doing the actual Hajj inshallah during Ramadan if you do Umrah in Ramadan, it's as if though you're doing Hajj. Oh, Hajjatan Ma'i. It's as if though you do a Hajj with me, with Rasulullah. So, this is something that, inshallah, we should take advantage of because we weren't able to do Hajj now. Inshallah, when Ramadan opens up, everything will get back to normal with the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah. And um, we'll be able to perform Umrah there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take us there again and again. And here's a few more. Uh, these are not ahadith, but these are from the Tabi'un or the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. So Sayyid ibn, ibn Musayyib, he said, attending the Jummah salah is better according to me than a nafil hajj. So this was his personal opinion, but you can show. So Sayyid, Sayyid ibn Musayyib, he was known as the, the leader of the Tabi'in. He was the, at the head. Um, Attending the Eid Salah Some of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum have said Attending the Eid al-Fitr Salah Equals the reward of Umrah And the Eid al-Adha Salah Equals that of Hajj Inshallah we'll be performing the Eid al-Adha Salah Next Friday Isha Salah in congregation uh, At-Tabi Uqba ibn Abdul Ghafir He said Offering the Isha Salah in congregations Equals the reward of Hajj And Fajr Salah in congregation Equals Umrah so we're about to pray Isha Salah right now Just in case anybody wanted another Hajj And fulfilling the need of a fellow Muslim Hadrat uh, Hassan al-Basri said uh, You going out of your way to fulfill the need of your Muslim brother Is better for you than Hajjatin ba'da Hajjatin Doing Hajj one after the other One after the other One after the other So what I'm trying to say is The difference between the Pious, the awliyaullah, the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and normal people is first the awliya, they're well acquainted 
and they, because they study so much, they know what to do and when to do it. They know the tricks, they know the hacks, so to say. So because of that, they're able to make these intentions, whereas we are unaware. But the hadith is available to everyone. So this is just a reminder to myself, first and foremost, to try to maximize our time, especially during this COVID situation. Everybody's at home. Once everybody's at home, they say devil's mind, that the idle mind is a devil's workshop. When you have nothing to do, you have everything to do. Because once you start getting bored, I mean, you're not going to work, you're, the children aren't going to school. We know how it is, how hard it is to keep children occupied. Uh, they start wandering, you start wasting your time. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us to utilize, utilize our time, especially in this COVID situation. This was the first part of the program. This was just an encouragement. And the second part of the program, inshallah, we will be talking about Udhiyya, uh, and we shall conclude with this. Um, I'm doing this part a bit differently this year. I won't go through all the Masail because there might be regulations, um, especially with this COVID-19 regarding the Udhiyya. Many people might not want to sacrifice physically. They might send their Qurbani overseas. So we're just going to talk about a few contemporary Masail um, that I felt were the most important. So, number one. Yeah, so I thought everybody would get bored by this time, so I put a piece of steak there, inshallah. Right? So the, the first question is, do I have to offer qurbani? Do I have to offer qurbani? Meaning, is qurbani wajib on me? Do I have to do it? So we're going to be discussing, um, we're going to be answering three questions. Number one, is udhiyya even necessary during COVID-19? Do you have to do it? Number two, we're going to be discussing gold and silver nisab, we'll get into that. And we're going to be discussing the nisab of zakat versus the nisab of udhiyya. Is there a difference? Okay, we'll start with the first question. COVID-19, we saw so many things. I mean, the ulama, some ulama gave permission, like Jumu'ah Salah, because the masjids were closed down, we had a leeway. We could have offered Dhuhr Salah inside our houses, whatnot. So many brothers and sisters were asking the question, do I have to physically go do Qurbani? Do I even have to do Qurbani? That's the, that's the actual question. So in the Hanafi Madhab, the Hanafi Madhab, whosoever possesses Nisab, that we're going to get into that later. Nisab is a threshold, meaning if you have this certain amount of wealth, then you have to do Qurbani. In the Hanafi Madhab, you have to do Qurbani if you meet that threshold, if you meet that criterion. In other Madhab, like for example, the Shafi Madhab, the Qurbani is a Sunnah. And you don't necessarily have to do it, but obviously it's one of the Sha'air of Islam, one of the great symbols of Islam, one of the great signs of Islam, where the, if you do it, then it's only benefit for yourself. Like I mentioned before, there's Waqti Ibadah, meaning there's a time and place. Like for example, before Eid Salah, if you give Sadaqatul Fitr for Eid Al-Fitr, before Eid Salah, if you give Sadaqatul Fitr, you're going to receive the reward of Sadaqatul Fitr, which is a special type of reward. After Eid Salah, you give the same amount, or if you give double or triple the amount, you still won't get that same reward because that time slot is gone. So anybody can sacrifice. I mean, we Bengalis, like we cut cows all the time, right? But special, there's special barakah in the meat. It's, it's called diyafa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is sort of hosting, you know, this celebration. 
and we're the guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we slaughter uh, to commemorate the action of Ibrahim alayhi salam so many different aspects of Islam inside the slaughter and the slaughter is so virtuous as well so for the Hanafi madhab you do have to slaughter uh, even during COVID-19 some of us may want to send our qurbani overseas we're going to get into that masla uh, in a bit inshallah so okay what's nisab nisab like I mentioned before um, nisab means So there's two nisabs, there's two sort of thresholds. Silver nisab and so gold and silver during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they generally, they didn't have such a huge, um, you know, there wasn't such a huge range in between them. They were almost very close in value. So you have 40 dirhams and you have 20 dinars. So one dinar, one gold coin used to be double the value of a silver coin. But today's time, the price in gold and silver astronomically changed, right? So you have two nisabs. So you have the gold nisab today, which is approximately 5,000 plus dollars, right? And you have the silver nisab, which is roughly like, let's just say $400 to keep it even. You have these two nisabs. The scholars in America generally tell the American Muslim populace to follow the gold nisab, to make it easier for them. Because if you are following silver nisab, so, so I'm sorry, I, I skipped a step. Back in Nabi Sallallahu's time, you can follow either or. You can follow the silver nisab if you wanted to, you can follow the gold nisab if you wanted to because they were relatively the same price. You can still follow either or in today's time. Right? It's just they're very drastically different. So if a person, let's hypothetically say he's taking silver nisab, right? What does that mean if I'm following silver nisab? It means that if I have $400 apart from my hawaij asliya, meaning from my bare necessities, from my clothes, my car, my house, etc., etc., if I have $400 laying around in my savings, then I have to do qurbani if you're taking silver nisab. Why that becomes a little bit difficult is because you have sheep and you have goats and shares of cows, they can get very expensive, anywhere from $200 to sometimes even $400, right? So if you say that we have to take silver nisab, that becomes very difficult for a person because what if, you know, if a person only has $400, we would consider that person like pretty poor. So if you're saying that, okay, you have $400, you met the requirements for silver nisab, therefore you have to sacrifice. That would become difficult for that person. So what the scholars of, generally of America, they say to do is to take gold nisab. Gold nisab, if someone has $5,000 saved up in their savings apart from their bare necessities, on the day of Eid al-Adha, then it is necessary for them to slaughter, according to the Hanafi madhab. Now, another point I want to discuss is the nisab of zakat versus the nisab of udhiyah. Is there a difference or not? There is a difference, and it's a big difference, and many people don't know the difference. The nisab of zakat is the same thing, gold or silver. So let's just stick with gold for now. 
For the nisab of zakat, if a person has $5,000, he doesn't have to pay zakat yet. When does he have to pay zakat? He has to pay 2.5% of his wealth after one year has passed. After one year has passed. This is one difference. So you have the year difference. But for udhiyah, Udhiyah, you're not looking at the year. Udhiyah is on the day of Eid al-Adha. On the day of Eid al-Adha, if I myself have this amount, then I have to give Udhiyah. I'm not looking in the previous year or the coming year. I'm looking all, only on the day. So the Nisab of Zakat, you're looking for the whole year. You wait an entire year and then you pay Zakat on that. But for the Nisab of Udhiyah, you don't. You pay that very day. Same thing with Sadaqatul Fitr. Sadaqatul Fitr, if you have this amount, on the day of Eid al-Fitr Then you have to pay The second difference Which people don't know Is You have zakatable assets Zakatable assets Meaning If I have gold If I have silver If I have livestock If I have business products These are the main categories Of zakat Zakatable assets So for example, if I have a 72-inch plasma screen TV, I will never ever have to pay zakat on that 72-inch plasma screen TV, right? Because it's not a, if it's for my personal use, um, it's not gold, it's not silver, it's not like a camel, and it's not, uh, I'm not selling it. So I will never have to pay, even however much extravagant it may, it may be, I can't force someone, meaning that the Sharia said that you don't have to pay zakat on that because it's not a zakatable asset. Okay, so 72 inch plasma screen TV, we're keeping that example. However, so, so what I'm saying is say for example, a person had $4,900, right? And his plasma screen TV, her plasma screen TV, or their iPhone 27 is worth like $1,200. So $1,200, I will not add this $1,200 and say that, okay, look, the value of this TV is $1,200, so what does that mean? And I have $4,900, so I'm gonna add the value of the TV to the $4,900. We won't do that in Zakat, because TV is not something Zakatable. You don't, Pay zakat on your TV. Udhiya, however, is different. Udhiya, you don't look at only zakatable assets. This is the difference, right? This is at least in the Hanafi madhab. You don't look at your zakatable assets. You look at min ayi malin kana. Min ayi malin kana. What does that mean? That means whatever over and above your hawaij asliya, your bare necessities. Now, bare necessities, obviously, they'll differ from person to person, right? Um, for example, someone has a very expensive pickup truck. It's very expensive, but he needs a very expensive pickup truck to do his business. So that's completely fine, right? But let's take the same example of the 72-inch plasma screen TV. 72-inch plasma screen TV is not a bare necessity. Because it's not a bare necessity, 
you will have to factor that in when we're looking at the nisab of udhiyah. When we are looking at the nisab of udhiyah, you will have to factor that in. And any other wealth that you feel is not part of your hawaija asliyah, that has to be looked at. And that's something that's ignored, but that's something to understand and to um, really check ourselves if we reach the threshold of udhiyah. Okay, so that's the first question. Do I have to offer udhiyah? The second question is about offering udhiyah overseas. For whatever reason, obviously if um, we are supporters of locally slaughtering uh, our fard qurbani because we get a chance to involve ourselves in the whole process of slaughtering, skinning, um, cooking, cutting, all of that, there's, there's this reward that you just can't get from ordinary sadaqah. Some people say, oh no, don't give qurbani, just give sadaqah. But obviously the reward of qurbani is so much more because you're, you're getting into the ibadah. Nobody can argue, uh, nobody will argue that offering udhiyah is much more difficult than just quick paying someone or swiping your credit card to uh, pay, to donate to charity. That's there. I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying qurbani is obviously much more difficult. Um, but understandably so, especially this year, 2020, many people due to health regulations, due to, you know, fear of contracting the disease and whatnot. This is goat birani, by the, I mean, goat curry, by the way, because there's a goat on the slide. Due to contracting the disease, they might not want to slaughter personally for, for personal reasons, which is understandable because, I mean, uh, many of us, you know, might be susceptible to sickness and whatnot. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of our health. Because of this, many people, they do have qurbani necessary on them. It's lazim on them, obligatory on them. But they feel that it's not safe to do it physically. So what they'll do this year, they'll offer it overseas, which is understandable. So the main questions that come here, will my udhiyah account and... Yeah, we'll get to that. The udhiyah doesn't have to be specified. So a lot of organizations, relief organizations, some people in certain countries, uh, very, very poor countries, the only time they see meat, the only time they see meat is when meat gets donated to them by uh, udhiyah. That's the only time they actually see meat. Otherwise, they just hear about it as if it's like a fairy tale. But uh, if, you, if you go and you see the projects, uh, you see the bags of meat that they hand out and the children and the families are so overjoyed. So one question that comes is, okay, if I send my qurbani overseas and obviously so many people are sending their qurbani overseas so they have like thousands and thousands of goats and sheep, uh, do they have to specify my name? Like this is, you know, sheep um, X belongs to brother Muhammad. Do they have to do that? They don't have to do that. Any sheep that they slaughter, um, inshallah, that will suffice for your qurbani. They don't have to call out your name. They don't have to specify it. Uh, as long as they slaughter one sheep, inshallah, that would count. The second question that comes uh, generally is, okay, we're living in America here. Let's take the subcontinent, for example, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. There, for them, Eid happens a day earlier, I mean, with the timings and whatnot. So the question comes, they already, their Eid started already. Our Eid didn't start yet. For them, uh, for us, Friday is Eid. 
for them, Thursday is Eid. It's the same day, but it's just one day earlier because of the time zones and whatnot. The question comes, if I send my qurbani overseas and it's, it's their day of Eid, our Eid didn't start yet, but their Eid started. And I sent them money to slaughter. Will my qurbani count or not? Why? Because my Eid didn't enter yet. Right? We, when do you slaughter? You slaughter after Eid Salah. So over there, technically speaking, you're slaughtering before Eid Salah. So the question, will my qurbani count or not? So there are ulama on both sides. Some ulama say will count. Some ulama say will not count. For different reasons. Um, if someone's interested, then I can explain the fiqh to them uh, after the program, inshallah. But to simplify things, you have ulama on both sides saying that your qurbani will count and you have your um, qurbani will not count. Reliable scholars on both sides. So what should a person do in that situation when, when you have scholars saying it's fine and you have scholars saying it's not fine you can go with the opinion that scholars are saying it's fine but the best thing to do in the situation because you can slaughter qurbani three days after you can do it eighth day and then two days after so you have three days of slaughtering you just tell the people overseas if it's possible just delay slaughtering my qurbani until one day after that way my time comes in and i'm completely khuruj anil khilaf meaning now there's no more difference of opinion because everybody agrees that your qurbani is fine. So when you're in doubt, leave it out. That's the idea. But if a person still wants to perform their qurbani that way, there are scholars on both sides, so it's completely fine, inshallah. So inshallah, your qurbani will count and it does not have to be specified. Here are um, a few virtues of udhiyah, why we should do it. So this is hadith report in Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah. Rasulullah said, There is nothing dearer to Allah during the days of Qurbani than dam, sacrificing animals, the, the spilling of blood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves this the most during these days. And then Nabi says, The sacrificed animal comes on the day of judgment with its horns, its hair, its hooves. All will be weighed on the day of Qiyamah. The sacrifice is accepted by Allah before the blood reaches the ground. And Nabi says, therefore sacrifice with an open and happy heart. One more virtue, inshallah. Zayd ibn Arqam relates as the Sahaba asked Rasulullah, what is Qurbani? What is this? Why do we do this? Why do we sacrifice? Rasulullah says, it's the sunnah to Abikum Ibrahim. The sunnah, the way of your father Ibrahim. They asked again, what do we get in benefit? What's our reward if we do it? Rasulullah said, you get a reward for every single hair on the animal. And they asked, what about the sheep? Rasulullah said, a reward for every fiber of wool. And these are the few questions I wanted to address. There's one more issue, very small issue. But it's the issue of Juma Salah and Eid Salah coming together on the same day. Inshallah, it's, uh, Juma Salah, uh, Eid Salah, Eid Al-Adha will be on Friday, Inshallah. And the, you know, Weeks before, there's always so many different munaqasha discussions happening on the internet. One group calling another group like this. So you're like this, you're like that, you know. Um, so just to simplify this discussion, 
According to the Hanafi school of thought, Jumu'ah Salah does not fall off by praying Eid Salah. And the similar position is held by the Shafi scholars and um, opinion is attributed to Imam Malik as well. There is um, in the Hanbali Madhab, the Hanbali Madhab, the fourth Madhab, there is an opinion that if someone prays, if someone prays Eid Salah, then they do not have to pray Jumu'ah Salah. The reason why the Hanafis and the other madhahib, they say that you do have to pray Jumu'ah Salah is because, so the whole discussion is about one report where Rasulullah said, um, he, he told a group of people that when, if you prayed Eid Salah, then you don't have to pray. Uh, I'm summarizing, paraphrasing the report. If you already prayed Eid Salah, then you don't have to pray Jumu'ah Salah. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi gave them a concession. That's where the issue rises. So, how do we interpret the hadith? So, if you if you understand it like this, that one hadith, if it's coming from one route, it's one part of the story. But there's also other parts of the story. So, what you do, you collect all the parts of the story, and once you have the full picture, then you can uh, give a um, ruling. This is where the th first three madhaib are coming from. So. Analyzing the reports, we see which group of people did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam give concession to in the first place. And if you analyze the reports, then you'll see that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave concession to a specific group of people. It wasn't a general concession, meaning whoever doesn't want to pray. This is according to the first three madhaib, like I mentioned before. Um, it was to the, the people who lived in the village. And according to the madahib, those madahib, that Jumu'ah Salah and Eid Salah doesn't even take place in the village. So according to what they would have to do, they come all the way from the village, they come to the city and they pray Salah, Eid Salah there. And then they'd have to go back to the village and then they'd have to come back for Jumu'ah Salah. So it's, it's tough, it's not easy. So Nabi Sallallahu gave them a concession. Because if they live in the village, they don't have to pray Eid Salah, they don't have to pray Jumu'ah Salah in the first place. Whereas the Hanbali school of thought, they, they see it as the person who prayed Eid Salah, he's as if though he's a Musafir, right? So Eid Salah will suffice them for praying Jumu'ah Salah. They don't have to pray Jumu'ah Salah anymore because according to them, it's not wajib on them. So whoever wants to follow if they follow the Hanbali Madhab, then they can follow the Hanbali Madhab, right? Whoever follows the um, Hanafi Madhab, Shafi Madhab, or Maliki Madhab, then they can follow their Madhab. That this, this discussion is not for people who don't want to follow a Madhab. It's for, if you want to follow a Madhab, then this is the ruling of the Madhab. Um, yeah, one more point after this. After Eid Salah, then uh, there's the Takbirat al-Tashriq The Takbirat of tashriq is From the Fajr of the 9th That means the day of Eid until Asr of the 13th It's the total of 23 Salah um, The Takbir goes Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar, walillah alhamd There's a bit of variation in the wordings But this is the Takbir that Umar radiallahu anhu Ali radiallahu anhu And Abdullah Mas'ud radiallahu anhu used to recite um, this is wajib, it's necessary for every single adult male. We have to recite this at least once immediately after every single fard salah. And women will recite the takbirat silently. 
And that brings us to the end of the program, inshallah. I hope everybody enjoyed the program. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open up Mecca and Medina soon. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take us there again and again and again. Jazakumullah khairan. Um, if there's any questions, inshallah, then uh, about Udhiya or pertaining to anything else, inshallah, I'll be glad to answer them, inshallah. Yes. Okay, so Arafah Arafa is a bit like a special situation, right? Arafah, generally speaking, the night enters at Maghrib. I mean, I mean the the on the day of Arafah it's reversed. The normal order of the year, like we say that. Let's see. The Fajr of the ninth. That is, we say that the night comes first and then the day. So we say that the, I forgot, it's, it's a little bit, it's just in my mind. Okay, yeah, this is how it works. Say, for example, it's Thursday night. We just prayed Maghrib Salah. After Maghrib Salah is technically the night of Friday. And then you have Friday's day. And that's how it works. You have the night comes first and then the day. But on the day of Arafah, the order is switched. So instead of having the night first, then the day, you have the day first and then the night. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. okay um. Yeah, I turn off the live stream, inshallah, so it's, it's fine. Yeah. But that, that's, that's how it works, where you have the night first, and then you have the day. But on the, let me, let me write it down. Here, here, you can check it from here. Inshallah, I'll be answering the questions that come on YouTube, inshallah, um, after the, uh, I finish with this one. So, let's take the eighth. On the eighth, after Maghrib, is the, is supposed to be, the night of ninth.
and then you have the day Then you have the day of the ninth, and wh what did I write on the slide? Inshallah, you. I just it just slipped my mind because it's it's like a you know strange strange but. Yeah, on the day of Eid you start doing it. Now, why that's the ninth? Pretty much, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like, tashri'an, from the sharia side, the order switched from the normal order. So I just, the normal order just slipped my mind, but from the normal order, we switch it on the day of Arafah so that the hujaj, they have more time to make dua. That's the idea. So if you if you just have that simple idea in your mind, then inshallah. But you can come back to me, and then I'll explain the particulars, inshallah. Let me see the questions online. Um, okay, so one question came. Assalamualaikum. Can you offer udhiyah for the deceased loved ones? Yes, you can offer udhiyah for the deceased loved ones. Uh, you can offer nafil qurbani on their behalf, and Allah subhanahu wa taala will the reward will reach them. Um, if you do send nafal udhiyah, then um, you can partake from the meat and whatnot, but you should give it in sadaqah, that's there. Now, if, if the deceased, they left in their will, for example, slaughter on my behalf, then that udhiyah that's performed, uh, that would be sort of like a nadar, so you can't eat from that. You have to slaughter it on their behalf, and you have to, it's wajib with the sadaq, you have to give it in sadaqah. Um, no, no, I mean, um, so if someone if someone wants to do a nafal qurbani, nafal qurbani, nafal udhiyah on behalf of their deceased relative, uh, from your own side, from your own side, then you can partake of the meal. You can you can eat from it. That's completely fine, right? Even some people, they what they do, they. Uh, like six people will share a cow and then the seventh share they'd all get together and give it to Rasulullah for the ummah whatever the case is uh, that's also fine you can partake of that you can eat from that meat as well but um, this the other scenario is someone passed away for example and inside their will uh, inside their you know how to distribute I want you to use uh, so much of my money to um, slaughter udhiyah on my behalf so if it's inside his will and then you slaughter Udhiyah on his behalf, you can't eat that one. Because that one's sort of like a promise you're fulfilling on his behalf. But if it's just from your own side, Nafal Qurban, you want them to recite, uh, you want to, them to receive the rewards, inshallah, you can partake of that, you can give sadaqah. Uh, there's also the ismustahab, not to cut your nails, cut your hair, all of that thing. And also to split the meat. One third for the fuqara, one third for friends and relatives, and one third for yourself, inshallah. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
no, no. So the, the question is, do you have to divide it like that? You don't have to divide it like that. Yeah. You don't have to. You definitely, definitely, I mean, for the, like, the poor and other parts of the world, for them, you can give all of these sadaqah. Uh, and they can enjoy entirely even what's the what's the the idea is what is the ibadah what's the ibadah is the ibadah in distributing the meat to the fuqara and to your relatives or is the ibadah slaughtering itself so the ibadah is slaughtering so when you slaughtered you finish slaughter then whatever happens afterward your ibadah is done like you prayed salah you finished salah Whatever you do afterwards, that's up to you, but your ibadah is finished. Bila karaha. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so that one's, that one's the day of Arafah. The day comes first, then the night. Okay, but the brother left. Jazakumullah khairan. Um, is there a difference of opinion amongst the ulama that the qurbani can be done till the 13th, right before Asr Salah? Um, yeah, so... There is a difference of opinion. Okay, so the question is, how long do you have until you can do udhiyah after the Eid Salah? So according to Ahnaf, the, and I believe the um, Malikis as well, I'm not sure, but you have udhiyah, that you have the day of Eid and you have two days after, right? But according to the Shafi'i, according to the Shafi'iyah, you have the day of Eid and you have three days after. So if someone's Shafi'i, they can follow that opinion as well. Uh, that opinion is there. There are uh, proofs for that in the Shafi Madhab as well. Inshallah. Um, so, okay, I had another question. Is it three Allahu Akbars or two in Takbirat? So, like I mentioned before, there's different variations in the Takbirat. The one I mentioned specifically was the one that was narrated from Umar radiallahu anhu, Ali radiallahu anhu, and Abdullah Mas bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. They did it with two. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallahu, Wallahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. So a total of four, but in the beginning they did it with two. Um, there are others, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Wallahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. That's also there. Uh, for, that's, that's a matter of afdaliyah, which, which one is better? Uh, one question was there, which amal is afdal? Um, Doing qurbani where you live or sending it abroad to feed the poor? There's, there's different ways you can look at this. There's different ways you can look at this. The ulama always encourage each and every single one of us to physically slaughter ourselves. So there's a... It's like going for hajj and then having someone do hajj on your behalf, like hajj badal. There's nothing like you yourself doing the ibadah yourself. And that's why we should try our utmost best to try to do it ourselves. Um, but it might get, if, if we have the means, the best thing to do is to slaughter locally ourselves. Uh, so we have our family, we can enjoy the meat over here. And overseas, qurbani is relatively cheap. It's very cheap. And we can send our nafl qurbani abroad to the poor. Uh, that's what we can do, inshallah. Um,
So, uh, th so the question was, if we, if we send our qurbani uh, overseas, right, because they do it earlier, will ours count? Right, so like I mentioned before, you have very, very reliable scholars on both sides. So whichever opinion uh, you want to follow, that's fine. But as a matter of precaution, it's better... Mm -hmm. No, no, that's, that's the thing. There's, there's both. Our, our own scholars, they both, they're both on both sides. So then that's, it's fine, inshallah. But the best thing to do is tell them to wait or do it a little bit later. That's the best thing to do. Um, one question. Uh, who is required to do udhiyah? Do we have to do it for our kids as well? Who is required to do udhiyah? Technically speaking, every single person who owns a nisab, every single individual. So there's a difference of opinion now between the Hanafi madhab and the Shafi'i madhab. So, and the other madhab. I'll just quote Hanafi and Shafi'i. So the Shafi'i madhab says, one sacrifice is enough for the entire household. So, for example, you have a household of seven. You have seven people in your household, and you slaughter one sheep, for example. That sheep will be enough for the entire household. Hanafis, on the other hand, they say that whosoever owns nisab, whosoever owns nisab, so if you have $5,000, let's just say, on the day of Eid, apart from, in, in your savings, and apart from your hawaij asliya, your bare necessities, then if husband has it, husband has to sacrifice. If wife has it, wife has to sacrifice. Older kids are working, they also have to sacrifice. So that's the Hanafi madhab. Every single individual in the family who possesses the nisab, they have to sacrifice. So that's there. Now obviously, I mean, what, what are you going to do with so much meat? And that's where the question of sending your qurbani overseas uh, becomes relevant to us. Um, if we have a chance to do udhiyah for ourselves, adults, um, does the wife um, Can ask her husband to do it on her behalf Yes, definitely uh, Just like how Some people Some people their nature is They, they can't see blood right? They, they, if they see blood They just can't take it They get nauseous They might faint All these things So say for example You had to do qurbani Now you're in a farm And it's such Your qurbani had, has to be you know, the cutest sheep and you just can't you just can't take the sheep's life. So you can tell someone else to slaughter on your behalf, just like how uh, many women are sensitive. I mean that's just natural, right? And you can tell your husband or your older children to slaughter on your behalf. That's completely fine. Uh, can women slaughter on their own? Yes, and they should slaughter on their own. They should definitely slaughter on their own. So um if they have um proper parda and you know, there's no mixing and everything and the, the proper systems are arranged, then it's very encouraged for each and every single person to do qurbani on their own. So they personally can feel it. Like I mentioned before, there's nothing like doing it yourself. Uh, if we send our qurbani overseas and doing qurbani here too, we, can we keep meat here and not dividing in three portions here and keep all, is it permissible? If you slaughter qurbani here, in USA it's mustahab it's encouraged to do the division one third to the fuqara one third to your relatives and one third for yourself if a person does not want to do that and he wants to keep he or she wants to keep all the meat that is completely fine 
nothing wrong with your qurbani you won't lose rewards it's completely fine inshallah yeah inshallah if there's no more questions then uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our deeds in these blessed days may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala us not to waste our time May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help all the people who are suffering in, you know, due to this COVID and other uh, complications. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove COVID. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala use COVID to, uh, as a means to um, expiate our sins, inshallah. May He reward us for all the sacrifices we're going through in our jobs and, you know, even the children. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put barakah in their ilm. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring everything back to normal. As fast as possible. Jazakumullah khairan, subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallahumma, bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasafiru kuntu bilayh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.